like, like I know what a vampire like. I know what a vampire is, and I like. And okay, I know good. That so they like. We can cut out li- the whole first section. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and I know what a castle is, and I know what happens when a vampire lives in a castle. Uh, th- then they like have a castle that is the vampires. But why the fuck is the article called "Exiting the Vampires Castle"? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Like, I don't. I don't understand the metaphor. Hey everybody, welcome to the first full episode of the Regrettable Century Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jason. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start off our foray into podcasting with something that will probably get whoever listens to us to hate us right off the bat. (laughs) And that is Mark Fisher's controversial article titled Exiting the Vampire Castle. And um, I know that this has been talked about to death, but I don't think it's any less relevant now than when he wrote it. And I really think it's worth delving into again, if for no other reason than to talk about what he got wrong and maybe, you know, sort of underscore what he got right. Well, look, like I wanted to talk about the exiting the vampire castle essay because it was written almost five years ago five years ago next month and it doesn't seem it in my in my estimation it's not any less uh you know useful uh than it was when it was written but i think a lot of things have actually changed as well like i think the world has changed quite a bit so like whenever whenever Fisher wrote the article, um, you know, with the thesis of which is that we need to learn how to build comradeship and solidarity instead of doing capital's work for it by condemning and abusing each other. He's writing at a time whenever, you know, Occupy has collapsed, the movement of the squares have collapsed. Um, this like tiny little window of what looked to be like an exciting upsurge that might bring back class politics has gone away. And uh, this is also when Twitter becomes a big thing, right? So in that sort of maw of despair and like uh, like like a lack of any sense of forward momentum, the, the, the culture of the call-out culture and the like performative sort of abusive like witch hunting culture that pervades like online spaces today was like really kind of, I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but like really taking shape in you know at that time the reason why it's interesting now is that that all still exists but i actually think we've we have like a much stronger basis for class politics than we did then so now it's like there's like a two side there's there's like a there's like tension between two different kinds of lefts whereas when fisher was writing before there was really only the yeah one. and that call out culture that existed that he's noticing so prevalently online via Twitter and whatnot um, had existed previous to that, but in a sort of face-to-face kind of way. Um, I can think of a dozen times where someone who was coming around for the first time was shouted down by a uh, what we would now call a woker-than-thou individual in the group, you know? And then now with the the internet just sort of 
amplifying the worst of us, yeah, it's much more visible. So it yeah. looks like that that's just about all we do. Yeah, well, and I, and I think that that's that I think that that is a lot of what a lot of people do. Like that, <laughs> that is exactly what yeah. a lot of people do, right? Like, and it, which is precisely why I think Adolf Reed is so fond of saying different di- different than what you were saying, Jason. He says that um, instead of saying there's two kinds of lefts, uh, he says there is something that occupies the space that would be a left if there were one. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it, you know. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's exactly. a rather it's rather droll. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. But but the other and uh, but additionally, I think the um he's also talked about how he recognizes the recognizes the sort of uh, liturgy that everybody has to recite every time that they say anything. And God forbid you actually try to push back on a little bit of this. You absolutely have to recite the the whole like. Um, the the holy scripture before um woke politics before you can push back on it at all god forbid people mistake you for a uh you know a nazi uh and he but so he he recognize he he's he identifies a sort of like a familiarity a recognition from his own uh religious childhood uh of the way that religious communities operate and i think that that the application of the term that you use chris of woker than thou is exactly uh the most important element of it i think it's it's a it's a a predominantly american it seems to me anyway a predominantly american um phenomenon that where this exists and i think it's our unique uh puritan history where we have to where we take our this um uh, Puritanism into our politics, even though we oftentimes uh, most of these people have left religion uh, long be- behind, they still have a sort of Puritanism shaping their our, our minds and the way that we approach the world. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's the concept of heresy, where you like must have the correct belief in all instances, otherwise you, nothing that you say or do is valid. But uh, on top of that, I think that it has a whole hell of a lot to do with neoliberalism and the sort of individuation of politics so that uh, you as, as a political being must be on brand constantly. Otherwise, your whole brand is suspect, you know, like let's say like in the past, if you were uh, if you were a, a worker in the Communist Party in the 1930s and you had reactionary views on immigration you know you would certainly be argued with but it wouldn't be a situation in which you were cast out because you as part of the whole were important enough to be kept around and struggled with whereas now as a like individual individual representatives of a certain kind of politics it's like there's there's so much more of the onus of put on the individual so that you have to police your every word and every action constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if anyone else has to do it for you, then that's something that that I mean there, there's no solidarity. There's yeah. no right. there's no you being part of a whole 
there's just you individually. And if you don't have the correct politics, then your entire encapsulated worldview is fucked up and you have to be shunted aside. Right. Like I think this, this has come up a lot um, in conversations about uh, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's like a, you know, a representative in a sense of like the democratic socialists of America, but it's, but who does not have like a party position. Like we have this bizarre moment in the, in for the first time really on the left where we have like the emergence, the reemergence of a mass left, but really absent, like a coherent notion of like collective positions. So there's no like party position that, that you, is being represented even if the individual doesn't necessarily hold them. Um, so like, like you're saying, like Chris, like you were saying is the, like the collective is an aggregate of individuals and it's only a collective in as much as all those individuals hold, uh, acceptable positions, right. Rather right. than they aggregate to being the collective overall. I, I'm not sure if I'm putting it exactly the way that I want to, but like, um, I came out of, you know, student organizing uh, uh, where, and I, and I think that, 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 you know, that's where most of this originates from, right? Is people on college campuses uh, getting together and doing stuff where... Yeah, we did know, stuff. If, well, I mean, you know, like, if you, yeah. you want to do a thing, like, you get together with the people who are, like, you know, want to do the thing that you want to do. And you go do that thing. Um, and if you don't want to be around somebody, you just tell them to fuck off uh, and keep doing your own thing. Um, uh, incredibly low stakes. Low stakes, but also low hopes, low sights. Uh, you know, the, the the most you hope for is to s- sort of pull off a success- successful action where you go and protest uh, a- together in a group and hold signs and you have n- neat slogans. Uh, and you chant or whatever. Um, but so like I had a, a friend who came from similar sort of organizing backgrounds who she who then got a job uh, working in a union. And she said like early on, like one of her first days, she shows up to work uh, on a job site. And, um, you know, one of the people there gets or two of the people there get in a fight. One of them gets so fucking angry that he's throwing like office supplies across the room at the other person. Um, um, but then she, she said that she was like shocked that after this, they continued to work together. They continued to organize their workplace together because they're in a situation where it's not a matter of, uh, I like this person. So I'm going to hang out with them and keep doing stuff. Uh, uh, they're in a situation where, we're trying to, you know, like make enough money to get by. And so we're doing this thing together. We have this, you know, common we're, uh, situation in life and we we're sort of forced uh, into commonality, whether we like it or not. So I don't have to like this other person. I don't have to get along with them. I don't have to think that they're cool or have good ideas. We are in a group together. Yeah. Um, the, the milieu that we came out of was very much one of a sort of like find the best people and fuck everyone else because we're trying to cadre build, right? 
So it's like you bring in people that agree with you exactly and everyone else can fuck off because it doesn't really matter if we build a mass organization because we're only trying to find the best and the brightest people. Well, what's what's really interesting about that is that we didn't think that's what we were doing. Yeah. Like, officially, that's not what we were doing. But functionally, that's what we were doing. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, Assad Hader, I think he's 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 uh, fundamentally correct, correct. But I, I have I, I have a question that I would raise in response. But I, I his his assessment of what's going on here is um, the left is isolated and defeated and we have very low hope for what we can accomplish. So instead of um, looking to a, uh, assail those who truly are in power, which we all are fully well aware uh, we're incapable of doing. We assail each other. We assail the people who are directly in front of us. We assail the people who show up to organize around us um, because yeah. that's something that you can, you can accomplish. But the uh, so you know he identifies the the problem. I think I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier is that the the problem is neoliberalism that we're. Uh, in the state of the uh, or condition of the victory of neoliberalism, but the I the question that raises in my mind uh, then is I can't I don't think that we can entirely I don't think that we can entirely uh, we can recognize that that is a, a cause of what's giving rise to this sorts of sort of behavior, but. Our continued isolation and irrelevance, I don't think, can entirely be laid at the feet of neoliberalism. I think that our inability to have any relevance has, as a left, uh, like you have to be able to point to the the way that we engage with the world and say that this is a cause of us to continuing to be isolated and irrelevant. But like Kevin, what you were talking about with like taking stock of our own methodology, uh, that's really more than anything else what uh, about this essay but also just like a lot of the thinkers who are kind of outside of the organized left um mm -hmm. this is what i think that they have a lot to contribute is because there's a there's a degree of like um detachment and being able to observe but like uh there's a part i really liked in here where fisher says that moralism is everywhere solidarity is impossible and guilt and fear are omnipresent and it's not because we're terrorized by the right but because we have allowed bourgeois modes of subjectivity to contaminate our movement. And I'm, it's, a, it's escaping me now. I think it's uh, David Harvey talks about how the organization of labor has always mirrored the organization of capital. Um, and so like in the era of like this big concentrated industrial centers, um, you, you had like a particular type of labor formation or whatever. And Harvey always talks about like, how we still operate on a mode of labor organization that from a previous method of organizing capital, which is why we have been unable to respond in kind and make advances as a movement. Um, but Fisher is, I think, a little bit more prescient here than I think he might even realize <clears throat> because he, he touches on that. But he, what he's saying is that, like, basically in the absence of having a method of organization for labor that corresponds to the needs of the moment, we have allowed capital to organize, you know, to, to like give us its methodology. And that's what we've adopted entirely. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the laws of the vampire's castle, and then we can talk about them. 
Um, all right. So the first law of the vampire's castle is individualize and privatize everything. While in theory it claims to be in favor of structural critique, in practice it never focuses on anything except individual behavior. That's probably enough of that to get us talking. Um, that, I think, is exactly what I was trying to say when I was talking about the neoliberalization of leftist politics, which is to, like, individualize and privatize everything, right? Right, yeah. Um, no, yeah, totally yeah, that makes sense. We don't have structural critiques. We just have critiques of individuals. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that, I, uh, that you know, this this first law is really um, the, the whole of the law and the prophets is, uh, you know, individualization and privatization of everything. Like this is, this, this is really, I think everything like any other sort of attitudes that we bring to things that we're doing that are, uh, you know, giving rise that are causing all these problems. I think that that can like come out in the wash so long as you're approaching other people um, and um, uh, and approaching uh, things that are wrong with the world as matters of social structures that need to be corrected uh, and addressed rather than matters of interpersonal um, violations or interpersonal uh, you know power dynamics. Um, one to you know one person to another person like you did a wrong thing you did a bad thing um, and so long as we can like root out that evil out of our souls that um that um uh, original sin then you know then everything will be fine like if we if we could approach things as the problems with the world uh, pri- at least primarily if not entirely as structural I think like everything else sort of like comes along with it well this this is the the consequence of like a lack of a mass organized labor left for so long is that we've just right we've grown up under the domination of a of a particular kind of culture and we have had no countervailing experience so even though like maybe we like intellectually grasp the notion of like mass struggle mass organization um because we've read about it or we've even seen little glimpses of it here and there all we actually know is a world where everything is is brought down to the micro level of the individual and the way that you are presented and the way that you present um and that's why even like the best thing that most people can think of to do whenever they become part of the left is like start a blog start a podcast start a start their own journal yeah. or whatever it is those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but it's like, you know, that's our strategy. Basically, is to just be really good leftists and let everybody know. So far, that's the best right. we've been able to come up with. I, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I think I disagree with that. Well, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> He's like, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I, you know, uh, a person could use their blog or their podcast or whatever in a certain way that, like, where their approach is to castigate the sinners and uh, praise the the saints uh, uh, 
to an audience. Uh, but you you know you don't necessarily have to have to approach it that way. You could we you know you could use um, the technology of your time to propagate ideas that promote uh, a structural analysis of the the problems and solutions to the world. Uh, to I mean the, the situations that we're in, right? Absolutely. But uh, in the absence of there being like kind of collective positions, uh, it's still it's still uh, an atomization of individual or small grouplets and their ideas, propagating their ideas as individuals. So I'd like you know I don't think that <laughs> I don't think we should have a podcast. <laughs> no, I think that uh, well, I, I mean, no. you know, this is the modern day printing press, right? It's no, no, just, it's, it's it's new different technology. It's not a, it's not an argument against the utilization of the of the of the the medium it's an argument for the medium to be married to broader uh models of organization like yeah. there's you know I, all three of us are members of the dsa there is no dsa podcast i know why not because it's all a bunch of individual podcasts we haven't yet we have not yet caught up to uh well, we haven't created a collective culture. We just have a so, large group of individuals. All right. So in this first law, Mark Fisher goes on to say, the actual ruling class propagates ideologies of individualism while tending to act as a class. Many of what we call conspiracies are the ruling class showing class solidarity. The vampire's castle, as dupe servants of the ruling class, does the opposite. It pays lip service to solidarity and collectivity while always acting as if the individualist categories imposed by power really hold because they are the petty bourgeois because they are petty bourgeois to the core the members of the vampire's castle are intensely competitive but this is repressed in the passive aggressive manner typical of the bourgeoisie what holds them together is not solidarity but mutual fear the fear that they will be the next one to be outed exposed or condemned damn yeah so yeah i mean the neoliberalization or petty bourgeoisization of uh, politics, leftist politics, is eat the law and the profits, you know, as Kevin said. And really the only way to fight back against that is collective. Like if we, if we look at capitalism as the structure and everything that comes out of capitalism, all of the different oppressions that come out of capitalism as being a part, part and parcel to capitalism and not to be fought individually ignoring the rest of them then we can like struggle together to overcome the, the muck of ages that, that manifests in all of us like say you know suppressed racism that rears its ugly head in you know white comrades every now and then or uh, you know misogynistic tendencies that are there because they're so deeply socialized within right. us you know if if a if a if a guy in your a guy in your group angrily calls you know Nikki Haley or some other woman in the ruling class a bitch rather than throw them out forever uh you know take them aside and have a conversation with them you know a struggle session if you will you know about about you know how that's not fucking cool yeah and that doesn't generally happen because yeah. so many people on the left and i would say probably a great majority of the motherfuckers on the internet have this it's not my job to educate you kind of attitude you know well you know it's yeah it's really it's really easy to be sympathetic too i think to the 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 sentiment that like 
well, I've done all of this work to just like survive daily in the society, like as a as an oppressed person, and now I have to take extra time and mental energy and emotional energy uh, to explain to somebody who should know better. I, you know, like I I can appreciate and I think uh, like I really do sympathize with that kind of sentiment. And on the other hand, um, we're trying to change the world, so like we've got to strike about we've got to figure something out there, and I guess. Um, yeah, it it's it can't be anyone else's job except for the people who have whatever you feel is the correct opinion. It's it's like if you want someone else to agree with you, it's your job to convince them. Right. It 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 can't be anyone else's. Dude. It has to be yours. People don't come to the fucking right conclusions yeah. on their own. You know, they've got to read about it somewhere or hear about it somewhere. I mean, honestly, they have to. They have to be told about it and argue about it. Because yeah. you can read about it all you want, and it still only means... I mean, supposedly Jordan Peterson knows about Marxism because he, he claims to have read it, but if you listen to him talk, he doesn't have a fucking clue what it is. Yeah, I don't think fucking Jordan Peterson has a clue about anything, actually. <laughs> it's probably not the best example. I don't, Jordan, <laughs> I don't think Jordan Peterson really represents the type of person we want to be struggling with. Hey, um, what's <laughs> yeah, the no, second right. rule of the Vampire Castle? Okay, the... The second law of the Vampire Castle is make thought and action appear very, very difficult. There must be no lightness and certainly no humor. Humor isn't serious by definition, right? Thought is hard work for people with posh voices and furrowed brows. Where there is confidence, introduce skepticism. Say, don't be hasty. We have to think more deeply about this. Remember, having convictions is oppressive and might lead to gulags. I don't know. I feel like this one's a bit out of place with the with uh, the rest of the laws. Um, I like I, I I I feel like he's he's certainly identifying um, an attitude, a per- pervasive attitude that is oftentimes a problem. But I don't I, think I it's like, like it's um, it's uh, it, it's not wed to number one. Yeah, it's sort right, of out of place. You know, right? Yeah. Whereas the other laws, I think, are like the bit about humor. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, I know so many leftists that are so fucking serious about everything that they're unable to participate in a little bit of gallows humor now and then that will sort of, it's like, like the way I I see gallows humor is sort of like a a release valve that keeps me from wanting to just self immolate every once in a while, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, so like, I guess there are two things to say about this. I guess the, the first one is, you know, Fisher's writing in 2013 in Great Britain. Great Britain. He's right. In the UK. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, mate. I mean, that's not incorrect. I know, but it's just. Uh, but really, though, is it that great? I've I've been there. It's just a sillier, <laughs> fancier America. Um, so, so the first thing is like I think more obvious, which is like some of this doesn't directly translate over to the U.S. the American experience, especially five years on. But I think to kind of get at right. uh, the the essence of the thing, when he's talking about um, the way I read the way I read it is is the tendency among a certain type of academic leftist to demand a greater amount of inquiry and a greater amount of theorization. Well, I just think that um, I, I mean it's it's true what he's saying. What he's saying, there are people who are overly serious, people who are humorless. That's certainly the case. 
but also, you know, like, uh, you know, sometimes thought and action are difficult, and they they actually are difficult. They don't just appear that way, and sometimes we should be skeptical and not have too much confidence. Like, I, you know, like this one is, um, um, and, you know, there, there's there's a counter. I think a stronger counter argument to be made against this one, and I also think that it doesn't flow from the same line of logic that the, the other ones do, uh, which all seem to be sort of outgrowths of uh, liberal petty bourgeois uh, puritanical approach. Well, I to, will say that um, uh, leftist politics. my sort of growing disdain for the like street protest activist vision of what a leftist like militant is, um, it, it is... I think probably I'm, I'm much more I'm much more inclined to say like, hey, let's like think through what it is we're actually trying to accomplish, and like, is this particular right. thing necessarily the best use of our energy? So, you know, maybe here's where Fisher is, um, I think, trying really hard to hold on to optimism um, at a time when, like, we we know he in, he he sadly he killed himself yeah so what we know about mark fisher as a as a person is that he's he's someone who's desperately clinging to like look you know you can hope you can have you can do things you know um whereas i'm i'm very comfortable subscribing to the the salvage uh uh position of revolutionary pessimism um, right which i do think requires us to really think through how we're going to use our energies lest it be you know, wasted. So I think that that's exactly what uh, Zizek mm-hmm. says when he says, uh, "Don't just do something, talk." You know, right? <laughs> uh, where where it's like we see a, a situation unfolding. So what do we do? We sit down and we talk about it, and we figure out whether or not we need to have a demo, whether or not we need to go march, whether or not we need to, right? You know. Um, because we have limited resources. We are tiny and insignificant as the left. Do we want to spend every single free minute we have um, out on a street corner uh, holding up signs and selling newspapers? Or do we want to, you know, think about things and come up with a coherent position and, you know, try to figure out what's tactically sound and what's the best use of our resources? Well, this this is the real this is the basis of I think um, what we'll find looking back to what what should I say here I think this is this is the basis of what we'll what I think we're going to find is is the major fault line inside of the the U.S. left today, which is like the base building kind of perspective of like building centers of power where people can move in the direction of achieving a greater degree of control over their lives, which sometimes looks very boring and whatever, um, and sometimes is not. And what we have come to know over the last uh, few decades as politics, which is registering your discontent in a vocal way where people can see it. Yeah, in a big performative uh, to, way, yeah. yeah. Right, to raise awareness or whatever, and, and not, to, not to completely just brush aside the... Uh, the experience of this whole last generation like I, I can see how you know in in the 1980s when uh 
you know, the air traffic controllers are being defeated and like, you know, uh, whatever, the Soviet Union collapses and people stop having things that they really can believe in. Just being able to stake out a space to say dissent is a necessity. Like, I, I can see where our, uh, why we've inherited the tradition that we have. Yeah. But I think um, the really brilliant thing is that perhaps we don't have to keep doing that, right? And so, <laughs> right. That does require us to think through uh, in very complex ways. Like, where are the levers of power? And how can you actually either grab hold of them or, you know, monkey wrench them, whichever, whichever the thing is we're trying to do? I, I have to say that, speaking from personal experience, having been at... I'd say about 98% of the demos that happened between 2001 <laughs> and 2015 that it's incredibly demoralizing when yeah. you yep. are throwing yourself into action constantly and seeing the exact opposite of what you want to happen always happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, if... Dude, especially if when nobody else, else knows about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if nothing else, we should take stock of how quickly people will burn out if we continue to do that. Mm, yeah. I, I, I luckily had, you know, I, an ideology which didn't let me burn out that quickly. Even though I was burned out, I kept going because I had sort of faith in an ideal, you know? Um, almost a religious devotion. Yeah, That's why Debord is so uh, dismissive of the leftist militant. Because he basically compares people like, you know, who we have been in our past lives, uh, exactly like that to like, it's, it's like a, it's like a religious ritual as opposed, right. as opposed to any, like anything that approximating strategy and, and power. Just mo- like motivated by, uh, twofold by guilt and the ultimate belief in paradise, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very religious. Yeah, well, which, you know, is the third law of the vampire's castle. Propagate as much guilt as you can. <laughs> right, there we go. Uh, you know, the, the more guilt, the better. But I, I think that this is exactly, like, I, so in my, you know, uh, you know I live in Portland, Oregon, where uh, liberal guilt is, like, it's it's thick in the air here. Uh but I and I, I you know I think that it's um, it's a combination of, of uh, you know American Puritanism um, uh, uh, married to uh, a, 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 a lack of a, of a structural view of the world, one that says that or or perhaps even even if one were to take a structural view and one were to say you know capitalism is part of the problem, one would say capitalism is. Uh, inevitable it's a it's an immutable law of nature it is it is here so what we must do is show up regularly uh to some public event or location to uh make a demonstration of our self-flagellation to show how bad we feel about uh social inequities uh and then we're going to go back to our our everyday lives and uh, continue living and doing things as a man, you're expected to get on Twitter and talk about how all men are pieces of shit, and then you can go back to doing whatever the fuck you were going to do as long as you perform that sort of like self-humiliation or self-flagellation. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which I'm not arguing against the idea that all men are pieces of shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, like, that's, that's a separate. That's point. not what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> as a as a fucking male piece of shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. it's I, I don't. It's I'm not arguing Catholic. that. It's like going yeah. to confession. You know, you know it's going to happen, or whatever. So you just. I, I, I'm really sorry that it has happened and continues to happen. Being a man and thus being a piece of shit. You know. Um, right, and then you you're, you've wiped the slate clean for until the next necessary performance. Um. <laughs> it's the it's the same thing with like um, white women and white and the white feminists be like memes. You know, it's like if you're a white feminist, a white woman who's a feminist, and you don't post repost those white feminists be like memes, like what are you even doing? <laughs> like I've seen this I, I've seen this on, on numerous occasions, like specifically yeah. with the Brett Kavanaugh thing. Um, uh, people posting, you know, I've, I've noticed that like my male friends aren't posting enough about how angry they are. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, do, do we need to post more? Is, first of all, is, is there a value to posting? I I was told the opposite. I was told, uh, that, uh, I was in the, the, uh, uh, I, I wasn't being a good ally because I posted, uh, I should make space for women. Well, that's the uh, best. That's the best part of it, right? Because again, um, in the absence of collective positions, uh, in the absence of like a culture of organization, uh, what you have instead is competing versions of the same uh, same set of politics. Where you know, let's we, we we all can agree we need to be good allies, right? But what does that mean? Well, for this group, um, what it means is for this group, it means. Um, Take a step back, you know, leave space. What you're here to do is to, like, observe and to absorb or whatever. Um, the sort other... of the, uh, the, the Black Panther idea of allowing white people to be around. They can be around, they just need to shut up. Right, or like Malcolm X said, like, whites can, you know, support us, but they can't join us. And, like, yeah. but even then, that's a question of, like, you know, they're trying to build a black organization. There's, like, a historical right. moment there. But then right, on right. the on the other hand, there's another version of this that other people have, which is like stop making the people who uh, are in the firing line take the bullet, like get out in front, you know. And then that first yeah. group of people says what you're doing is you're 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 stealing the narrative or whatever. Or you're like shutting people down. And so those both of those are motivated by the exact same set of concerns. And it's it's in, it's impossible to uh, to do it right for everybody. There's a third version of... of being an ally too. Which is like, you know, you read the, um, it's it's floating around right now. It's very uh, viral, but it's like, you're a white person at a at a political event or in some point of confrontation, you should be dressed business casual and get ready to get beat over the head by the cops, right? And like put that on the news, and um, you know, that's that's in conflict with the white people don't have a space here other than. To, to listen and be, you know, and to express contrition. So there's sort of a problem with the concept of allyship. And it is that white people don't have a stake in making sure that right. black people aren't oppressed and yeah. right. that we're just doing it because we're good allies. And that is what comes from there being not being a structural critique. Like, black people in the South during Jim Crow being a permanent underclass 
um, that could be paid less than white workers made sure that white workers remained poorer than even black workers in the North were. So, um, yeah. you know, it's it's the idea that raci- racism is inherently beneficial to all whites. Therefore, it's anathema for a white person to be against racism, and it's weird for them to be against it. And that's why they're just allies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or even just that it's here to stay. Right. Right. The structures of oppression are here to stay, like like Coates would argue. So the best that you can do is like, you know, modify, mitigate, um, understand, whatever, shift things around, get better representation. It's a question. Of, it's it's a it's a consequence of of a, such a narrow horizon as that. Like a an entirely different kind of world is just not imaginable. Um, which is this is the logic of neoliberal neoliberalism. It's uh, there is no alternative. They've been they've been saying it and proving it for. Basically, yeah, our I'd entire say, lives. Uh, the fourth law of Empire's Castle is to essentialize. Right. I was about to. I was about to do that. Oh. <laughs> Damn. One I was might about to say segue. that. <laughs> Kevin's on point with the segues this evening. Dude, I know it's because he um, he's <laughs> been riding his segway on. Regular right Joe Bluth. They're all over the place up here in Portland. Do they have those in Austin? Not anymore. They kind of went away, and now they, they ride those. Sh- shitty fucking scooters, scooters everywhere oh yeah 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 well you know portland is very into like uh throwbacks like ruin <laughs> your own beer <laughs> and right it's vin- it's vintage man it's from like six okay, years so ago the fourth law of the vampire's castle is castle <laughs> is essentialized while fluidity of identity, plurality, and multiplicity are always claimed on behalf of the VC members, partly to cover up their own invariable wealthy, privileged, or bourgeois assimilationist background, the enemy is always to be essentialized. Since the desires animating the VC are in large part priests' desires to excommunicate and condemn, there has to be a strong distinction between good and evil, with the latter essentialized. Um, it's, this is original sin. I mean, that's what this is. This right. Is, it's, uh, you know, attached to your soul as a human, and there's no uh, being rid of it. The only thing is uh, to confess one's sin uh, and, uh, you know, accept one's punishment. Right. Well, like, I mean, so I find this one to be uh, really poignant because this is... Uh, one of the one of the things that I think has has not in any way decreased in relevance over the last five years. So when Fisher's writing about his example earlier in the essay is uh, Russell Brand, who's you know yeah. he's a kook whatever, but um, brands that referred to like women as birds or something you know, um, and he even says like yeah that's the way I was raised to talk and like uh, if that's not the right way to, to do it like I'll get better if. He says, women are in a better position than me to judge what's uh, what's sexist. Uh, but, you know, when Fisher's talking about it, he's like, basically, people saw that. It's like, that's a sexist comment, and therefore, Brand is a sexist. And we've all seen this in our own sort of circles like a million times. Like, a person says a thing the wrong way, and... Maybe they don't know the right way to say it. Maybe they don't quite understand the gravity of the words. Or maybe they do, in fact, harbor 
uh, as as is this very likely harbor degrees of you know problematic uh, understanding of the world but the but that little window into their uh, soul is, or is is seen to be like that's the essence of yeah. the person they made a comment which was a sexist comment that person is like is a misogynist that person's yep. presence here is violence as if it was the same as a as a they're basically a predator in waiting. Yeah, the greatest evil that you can commit is, you know, God forbid to have a slip of the tongue, say the wrong thing in a in a, it's in a, a meeting or whatever. Or fucking or being wrong. Like sometimes we're wrong and we have to be, you know, struggled with and told like, dude, don't fucking talk like that. And it's interesting to me how there's no sort of uh space made for colloquialism either. You know? Yeah, it's it's like there's a uh, there's a a version of leftism that gets propagated from I don't know where, but it, it spreads outwards on the uh, spreads outwards on the internet, and whoever isn't privy to whatever new proper woke terminology is has to be bludgeoned by it, mm-hmm. and. You know, I guess like in the 90s and stuff and the early 2000s, you would say like go to a different city and meet up with some leftists in that other city. And like and I use the word chick to refer to a woman because, you know, where I'm from on the coast in Texas and the surfers that I grew up around in my family and in my high school and stuff. There was dudes and chicks. Right. <laughs> so I, re- I refer to like a woman as a chick. And I got, like, lambasted for it. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. Like, is that bad? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, you know? And that's sort of like a... Uh, it's just a stupid colloquialism, you know? It has, mm-hmm. you know... and But to someone with this, like, you know, hyper Foucault... Foucaultian? Foucaultian, yeah. Yeah. Foucaultian? Yeah. Okay. Hyper Foucaultian understanding of language... Uh, it doesn't fucking matter if you knew it or not. It's that you are oppressing by saying the wrong thing. You are actively well, oppressing. You. Well, man, I once uh, was told that by saying the word y'all, that I was appropriating black culture. <laughs> well, whoever said that is definitely not from the South. The, well, exactly, right? This person is from the Midwest and listens to hip-hop and you say the word y'all some rappers say the word y'all uh usually they're the ones from the south <laughs> um and it was like hold on there's like a y'all belt okay and it's like it's like 40 percent of the country yeah. yeah it's it's like south of st louis all the way down to the gulf of mexico people say y'all I, um this is not it's just that's not it's not a real that's not a real thing just uh this is only peripherally relevant but um i was called a sexist uh, by a hillary supporter one time for in a, a one sentence saying uh you know trump and then the other sentence saying hillary because uh i didn't use her last name i used her first name and that um ah you know and that was demeaning because i wasn't giving <laughs> her the proper respect and i'm like Motherfucker, she's it's her bumper stickers say Hillary on them. Yeah. She, she branded her campaign as the Hillary campaign. That is what she prefers. And yeah. honestly, I just said Bernie two sentences ago, so give me a fucking break, you know? 
right. Anyway, that's only peripherally Anyways. relevant. Well, well, yeah. No, I mean, it's an obsession with language. Uh, yeah, it's it's which... a, it's like a fucking supernatural, like giving language supernatural Religious. powers. It, it always comes back to that. Yeah, it, it's like making fucking. It's magic words. It's like. If if you oh no you read the accidentally read the words in the Necronomicon <laughs> ex mortis and have unleashed the the deadites you know it's like no you don't accidentally yeah man it's it's exactly like that you don't accidentally say the n word when you're rapping along to Tupac and then next thing you know you're consumed by the spirit of fucking Heinrich Himmler you know <laughs> I mean <laughs> right so um we. It's worth sort of <clears throat> I don't know, that might putting happen, it out there. <laughs> it's worth putting it out there that, like, you know, I, th- I think we have to acknowledge that there is also, I think we have to also acknowledge that there is a, uh, there's a kind of person in left-wing circles that defends their use of, like, you know, problematic, offensive, whatever, language, because that's just how I talked, that's how I was raised. Like, there is such a thing as, yeah. as uh, you know, getting better, right. doing better. Yeah. Um, There's also such a thing now, as not like, being a fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah, yes, right. that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, now, of course, this is a problem that I think we encounter as a result of having a growing left. Right. So it's a good problem to have. Um, the larger the left grows, especially in the absence of, uh, like, a like a really inspiring core on the left where people can sort of say, I want to emulate what these people have. Right. Um, but it's just this very diffuse left where you just identify with it and you adopt it. And now you are it, um, regardless of who you were the day before. That means that we're bringing in all of the elements of the outside culture into the inside of the left. Uh, part of that's probably really good because so much of left-wing culture is like insular and sect sect like. Right. But the other part of it is that people are going to come in with, like I yeah I think that things should be more fair and equal and this is a phony democracy and then otherwise I have all the ideas I've always had yeah right absent struggle people aren't going to change their minds and they will defend their use of a just sometimes really bad uh, not just bad words right but like but like a kind of speech which inform which indicates a, a bad set of ideas yeah but like I think we have to acknowledge that that's that's also there that's true. Yeah. No, it absolutely is, but I, I think that's a separate problem. Like, okay, so like in left spaces, I, I think we need to prioritize, uh, like, um, building up and sort of centering the uh, people who are coming from marginalized identities or, or marginalized communities, um, and that means not doing the shit that is ensuring that like we're not like doing shit that is like pushing uh people away the very people away that we want to bring in and that we want to sort of uh have be at the center of our organizing efforts um but that's you know that's a separate question from like you know what what's the pro like where is the problem located in the world right like this this problem of racism or sexism isn't in the the problem isn't people's attitudes uh right Right. like we're we're not creating racism by using problematic words Mm -hmm. racism (laughs) is creating 
problematic words. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Racism. Yeah. Is, so, like, racism is creating a thing which can be described in words which have then which are, take on a problematic character. Yeah, well, and, and it creates whatever. Social structures create the individuals that then go out in the world and recreate the social structures. Our attitudes that we bring to the world help to codify uh, the structures that we uh, that then reproduce uh, other individuals it's you know it's a cyclical process but if we're going to take a you know a structural analysis of the world we're going to recognize the root the core the base is uh is uh is the structure i you know i i think it's it's stokely like i i would even like okay so stokely carmichael's you know famous quote on on racism you know is if if a white man wants to lynch me that's his problem if he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Right. Yeah. Racism is not a question of attitude. It's a question of power. The power for racism, sexism comes from capitalism. It's not an attitude. And that is how liberalism has always dealt with problems of oppression is by focusing on attitudes. And, oh, it's just education. We just need education. We just need education. We need representation in film. We need representation in government. We need more CEOs and the women CEOs. We need more uh, black site torturers who are, you know, um, transgendered, <laughs> you know, uh, stuff like that. But uh, that segues us really well into the fifth law of the vampire's castle, which is think like a liberal because you are one. The VC's work of constantly stoking up oh. reactive outrage... <laughs> consists of endlessly pointing out the screamingly obvious capital behaves like capital it's not very nice repressive state apparatuses are repressive we must protest right right it's, that's, a, that's a really that's a really good sum, summing up point on in the laws huh? right yeah in summary in conclusion uh vampires think like a liberal because you are one right and i think that that's a little bit salty of him in the description there like, he's obviously dealing with some shit at the time that he's yeah. writing this, you know? And it, it's not it, it, it's not written to be a deep intellectual piece. It's written to be a sort of, I'm kind of pissed off about the way things are, so I'm just going to fucking spew this out really quick kind of a thing, I think. Yeah. And, um, but he's also not wrong. He's not. He's, uh, yeah, he's not. He's not. <laughs> he... But, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the first thing that I, I said about this is that neoliberalism is the problem yeah. at the very beginning. Exactly. And yeah. uh, we have back. sort of I, – I, I say this all the time is that we've won the war, the culture war and completely lost the class war. Like – we uh, just look at look at how far we've come since the 1990s. Um, you know, you cannot call people or even jokingly use the word faggot anymore. That is just absolutely just anathema. No one does that anymore. Maybe alt writers do that, but not even yeah. regular conservatives do that. You know, you don't call things gay when you don't like them anymore. You, uh, no one. No one thinks it's okay to use the N-word if you're white, you know. Right. I mean, th there's a reason why the term dog whistle has become so uh, popular because, you know, racist language is very coded, more so than it ever has been, because it has to be. We, yeah, and we've got uh, 
the, the representation of, of people of color and uh, women in movies is always a topic of conversation. They're always trying to figure out better ways to represent people. But at the same time, Donald Trump is president and the far right is on the rise. <laughs> you know? That's, yeah. We've completely fucking lost the class war. Things are worse now than they have been since the Great Depression for working people. And uh, we continue to yeah. make them worse. Unions, con- well, and- unions continue to shrink. Stri- uh, large strikes have are still at historical lows, even now. Even now. Even right. at, the- when class politics is sort of back on the table. Well, and, and the condition of black life in this country is worse than it was uh, when the Civil Rights Act was signed. Yeah. Even though we had I mean, a black president... We had black representation in the highest office in the land. We've got a black man on the Supreme Court who is coincidentally a rapist. But, you know, know, (laughs) that is neither here nor there. Um, I mean, it's just this that more than anything else should illustrate the bankruptcy of liberal politics in dealing with oppression. And the bank, the bankruptcy of any kind of attempt to deal with the problems of oppression that doesn't combine a structural critique with it. I mean, yes, oppression is real, and yes, problems of oppression need to be dealt with um, head-on all the time. But they should not be separated from their root cause, which is, of course, the class system. I mean, that's... um, I really like like the way that Fisher closes the essay... He says that the goal is not to be, in quotes, an activist, but to aid the working class to activate and transform itself. Um, and that's that's what we're actually here for. Dude, that's that's our actual reason for existence. What a fucking loss that he he's not with us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you knew he was. Um, you probably remember this. He was eviscerated for this essay oh i mean i've read if you just go to the north star and read the comments to the original posting of it it was fucking brutal and if you go ahead and read some of the comments uh or the the tweets that people were making after mark fisher died or after he killed himself yeah like from these uh you know woker than thou hyper hyper leftists that are just like good he fucking does he's like i'm glad he killed himself uh he fucking deserved it and stuff like that it's yeah. pretty fucking brutal. Bunch of fucking, fucking vampires. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the answer to your question, Kevin. <laughs> Except for, like, vampires are pretty fucking cool, and castles are badass, so, yeah. like, I don't necessarily know I'd want to leave the vampire castle. Maybe if it was, I like, know, the zombie dumpster. 